Hi, I'm Graham Hyde, and this is a podcast all about making stuff better. The aim is to share knowledge and learning and spark curiosity in improving the health and care experienced by the people of Leeds through a series of conversations which are almost entirely grounded in the city. But what is a local care partnership? It's the term used in Leeds to describe our model of joined up working to deliver local care for local people working in and with local communities. All local care partnerships share the same key feature, a range of people working together, regardless of the employing organisation, to deliver joined up collaborative care that meets the identified population's needs. Each local care partnership includes statutory organisations such as the City Council, the NHS, but also brings together the vast knowledge, experience and expertise of the thriving third sector, community groups and elected members, alongside local people, to deliver services that support people to access the right support when they need it and thrive using their individual and community assets. The local care partnership model is strongly rooted in our Leeds health and wellbeing strategy embedding the vision that Leeds will be a healthy and caring city for all ages, where people who are the poorest improve their health the fastest. There are 15 of these local care partnerships covering the whole of Leeds, one for each person living in the city, and build on the strengths and an extensive history of collaboration in the city to realise some of the most exciting person-centred transformations in health and care. Now, on to this episode. In this episode, we are joined by Carl Whitty. Uh, Carl supports the ongoing development of the local care partnerships across Leeds, promoting a strong and effective presence from the third sector in each area. Carl works for Volition Forum Central, so hopefully we'll hear a bit more about what that organisation does in the city. So first of all, welcome, Carl. Thank you, Graham. Thank you for having me on your brilliant podcast. Absolutely no problem. It's uh, it's good to I can see you, but uh, listeners can't. So it's it's great to see you after quite a while. Um, so first of all, could you tell us about your journey to this point in your career, and also tell us a little bit more about uh, Volition Forum Central? Yeah, no worries. So um, Forum Central is made up of uh, two organisations: Volition, which I work for and leads older people's forum. The Forum Central is more of a network than an organisation in itself. Um, we are part of the third sector infrastructure within Leeds. So we support third sector organisations um, to do their work, to be sustainable, to be resilient, um, and to meet the challenges um, of communities in Leeds. Um, so we have a, a really broad vision uh, for a better quality of life for people in Leeds and a mission to be a collective voice for the health and care third sector. Um, practically, we have a whole range of, of different work streams within uh, Forum Central. Um, 
We have specialisms in terms of uh, learning disability. We have a learning disability network. We have a network um, of organisations who work around mental health. Um, we have a network um, of organisations working um, with people who have physical or sensory impairments. Um, and um, as the name implied, Leeds Older People's Forum um, support organisations uh, working with older people. Um, and we do a whole load of other stuff around that as well. Yeah. Um, my role, as you say, is focused on um, the development of the local care partnerships. Uh, but that in itself is a really broad role and I find myself getting involved in lots of other stuff um, to support the third sector, but also to support the development of uh, local care partnerships as a system and a structure for Leeds. Um, my background. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um, I've I've never really known what I wanted to do, Graham. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, I went to university. Um, I went to university in York and did a sociology social policy degree. Okay. Um, finished the degree was confused as to what to do next. Yeah. Um, so I did another degree. Um, <laughs> I um, yeah did a, a, a master's in the sociology of contemporary culture. Um, wow, sounds yes. interesting. It was, it was interesting. But gave me very limited career <laughs> opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, after a period out of work, Okay. Um, I then decided to um, give my parents a break and move to Leeds without a job. Okay, uh, brave, very and, brave. Yes, awesomely. Um <laughs> And yeah, tempt um, for a while, um, worked in a bank. Right. Interesting. Um, and then went back to university to work um, at John Moore's University um, in substance misuse. Okay. So that was kind of, I suppose, my first uh, toe in the water around kind of health and well-being issues. Yeah. And also experiences of, of working with people who experience significant health inequalities, um, stigmatised. Um, so was that working with the student population? No, so I worked in a, um, it was the Centre for Public Health at right. John Moore University. And so we had a number of contracts um, around monitoring um, um, substance misuse um, across the city, across the northwest. Yeah. Um, we also supported with the development of interventions um, to um, reduce harm from substance, substance misuse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, really positive experience there. Um, and I suppose set me off on that path um, around kind of, yeah, using data Hey. <laughs> uh, to identify inequalities uh, yeah. and to come up with with solutions um, um, but yeah also kind of that focus on people who 
experience significant challenge, uh, experience uh, significant stigma, mm-hmm. um, but also, yeah, communities that, despite all of that, survive. Uh, and yeah, we did a lot of work with the third sector when I was at Liverpool, um, which again kind of exposed me to yeah kind of all those assets within communities uh, which um are so vital for cities and communities um so yeah that was a really positive experience um i then came back to leeds um and worked at leeds beckett university for 10 years Uh, initially worked with professor alan white um and professor jane south um in the center for health promotion research and um center for men's health um both professors brilliant in their own ways um both really uh, strong advocates for for communities in the third sector um and they were brilliant uh kind of giving me opportunities to get to know leads um and work in a really active way within Leeds. Um, I think they knew that academia probably wasn't my career path. Um, did, you have, did you have to do all those um, publishing X number of papers per year or something? Which was... Did indeed. Oh. And if you uh, dredge the depth of Google, you might find one or two papers, which you probably want to avoid, to be honest. Um, I'll take your word for it. I'll, I'll avoid that then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you are you are a published academic academic person. Yeah, indeed. Very yeah. good. Very good. Beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, that was a really positive experience, and yeah, I stayed there for ten years. So that says a lot in itself. Um, towards, um, I suppose, my second half um, of my time at, at Leeds Beckett was focused around. Um, an initiative that I led on um, called Community. Um, so um, the uni part of that is capitalised to highlight the role of the university within the community. Um, and that was really kind of a, a brokerage role. So linking up academics uh, to third sector organisations um, and vice versa bringing um, third sector organizations into the university to talk about the work that they do, support the development of evaluation and research um, within communities, within the third sector. Um, So yeah, that was a brilliant role and a role that allowed me to build my understanding of the third sector within Leeds and more importantly develop some of those relationships which i still um yeah really value now um there's organizations and people that i know from my days at beckett um and uh yeah just just a really positive experience yeah and those relationships are really they're really key um you never sort of you never know when they might come in handy or you might come in handy to them and they'll go there was that guy I once worked with. Oh yeah, let's get in touch with him. And that, those kind of strong and trusted relationships, they're um, they enable us to do more stuff, don't they? And I suppose that that sort of brings me on to 
What makes you get out of bed in the morning? Why, why do you bother doing what you do? Where's your passion? Yeah, so, um, yeah, you shared these questions with me and I've been <laughs> procrastinating over this question. Um, okay. And um, yeah, I really want to come up with a big answer, yeah. but I think that would be disingenuous. Okay. Um, I, I'm a real people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I think often it's the little things that make me feel like I've had a good day and it's been worthwhile getting up. Yeah. So obviously I would love to make Leeds a fairer place, um, uh, ensure that all these health inequalities that we we know about and uh, try our best to, to, to tackle um, aren't there, but they are. And while I try to do my bit, I can't solve that, that yeah. problem. Um, yeah. So for me, it's about making people smile a little bit, um, and helping people out, helping people come together. Yeah. Um, I feel as though my strengths lie in just being a connector yeah. and acknowledging that I do some stuff okay, but I'm often not the best person to do the work. So yeah, kind of that knowledge, the relationships that I amass, um, yeah, they're they're my skills, they're my assets, which I use all the time and bringing people together to do good stuff and to tackle all those issues that we as a city face is, I suppose my primary reason and yeah. makes me happy. Yeah, and all all extremely valid things. And I, I particularly like the fact that you've said to make people smile. So yeah, I think I think if we can if we can smile and also have fun in doing what we do, I think we're we're halfway there. Absolutely. Okay. So if this podcast is around local care partnerships and and what do you understand by that? term local care partnership and what's your experience of a local care partnership and also why should anyone care about them that's a lot of questions Graham (laughs) um my memory isn't what it used to be so I might have to go back to you with, with a reminder um so what are local care partnerships So I could come up with, again, kind of a a system response to that, Um, but that probably isn't very interesting. Um, So from my perspective, local care partnerships are people, organisations coming together to um, meet the challenges experienced by communities and come up with ways to do things differently, do things more effectively, do things more efficiently. Um, And that, although I did my best to make it sound complicated, that in theory is a simple thing. Um, Making it happen is really, really hard. Um, As a system, we are really used to working in silos. Um, we might have 
uh, a role title, which is really defined. We might work within a team that has a particular remit. We might work in an organisation that has a focus on a particular community. There's all these things that we've built up that put barriers between us and other people who yeah. are supporting communities or working with communities. Um, local care partnerships should try their best to break all those barriers down and focus on what works for people. Yeah. Um, it's it's something which is partly ingrained in our culture, but I think we perpetuate that with you know developing role descriptions which are so defined yeah. or focusing on particular outcomes. Um, so yeah, in terms of making local care partnerships work, it's really, really difficult. I think we need to make sure that those relationships and the foundation pieces are really set before we can um, expect local care partnerships to really work. Yeah. Um, and that's really tricky. I think there's justifiably a lot of pressure on the local care partnerships and other parts of the system to come up with tangible outcomes. Um, but I, I think there's a real, real danger that unless we set those foundation stones, we create the pieces of the jigsaw, we're not really going to make any ground. We're going to continue to work in these silos. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sent a tweet out um, a couple of months back and I was walking to the shops, trying to get my daily exercise and really dwelling on what I was going to say in this tweet. Yeah. Um, and basically what I said was we need to slow down and do things right rather than um, continue to do little bits not that well. Yeah. And there's so many people who work so hard, do so much good stuff, but often don't really crack that nut because we as a system don't have the time, we don't have the space to genuinely do things different and do things right. We have to know what is right, but we can't do it because we are bound by roles or restrictions in terms of resourcing. Yeah. Um, and for me, local care partnerships can do that, but we need to give them time and space to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And and like you say, it takes, you know, local care partnerships for me is all about relationships. And, you know, you've already talked about the relationships that you've built over the last 10 years in Leeds. So so it is important to give these things time. Um, and I think from what I've observed is. There are pots of, you know, money. Money tends to drive some improvement or some change. And what I've observed is there's always there's always bits and pieces of money around the place, but it always seems that you've got to put a bid in in a week's time. And I always think those bids. They can't be I mean, I suppose they're as best formed and best planned and best delivered as possible, but a week's notice 
for example, for a pot of money. How do you feel as a sort of a person connected to the third sector? And, and those guys do seem to get caught in that. I don't know where, the, the, where it needs to change, but that short term funding, pots of money, we've got to grab this money now or next week. That can't that can't be helpful in that vision and plan. It's all it all feels a bit reactive, whereas I think what we're trying to do in Leeds is much more proactive care. Mm. And I suppose as 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 statutory organisations where the funding generally comes from, we're sort of we're making that a thing all the time, that short term stuff, yeah. not a, not able to give it the time and the, yeah, the proper consideration about where we want to move that money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, within Leeds, we have a really, really positive strategic base for this work. Yeah. And we've got lots of advocates in kind of the higher echelons of the health and care system. Um, but often the the ways that we work as a system is, as you say, sometimes quite reactive um, and not always joined up. So from a third sector perspective, um, we've seen, you know, the sector experience significant challenge over the course of the pandemic. Lots of challenges in terms of sustainability of some of the work. Uh, the resilience of the sector has been, um, you know, kind of highlighted as as, as not being, um, um, you know, as, as strong or um, robust as perhaps some parts of the system think. So, yeah, you're right. Having kind of short term contracts does feed into that. Um, and... I think part of it is culture. So we continue to do short term grant funding because that's what we know. We don't know any other option. Yeah. But there's also issues around um, where that money comes from. Um, there's loads of stuff that happens way, way, way above. Yeah. Not only my head, but <laughs> some of the senior leaders in, yeah. in Leeds. Yeah. Uh, that kind of informs how we work as a system and I suppose kind of feeds into that um, the, the fragility of some parts of the, the third sector. Um, the the upshot of that is that we do some good work sometimes and then we've got to stop it. Yeah. yeah. And the, the people who suffer are the communities who experience the greatest health inequalities. Um, so it's, it's sort of the system not helping the system because obviously, you know, with money comes the opportunity to employ some new people for a year, you know, 18 months. And if that funding comes to an end, those people, they have to go, don't they? So you lose that experience and knowledge and relationships. So again, the system's just, it's not helping itself. No, absolutely not. And um, yeah, I think the the people within the system are some of the prime assets. It's yeah. not kind of money. It's not, um, you know, 
a fancy new IT system. It's people. Um, and yeah, just as I'm kind of drawing on those relationships, uh, I started uh, 10 or more years ago. Um, yeah, everybody else in the system knows other people who they're, they value, they appreciate, uh, they know they can go to if they have a challenge, if they have a problem, if they need an answer, then kind of they go and then people flounder, you know, yeah. what do we do? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not an ideal situation, um, but yeah, there's lots of people within the system in Leeds who want to make it better. Yeah. And I think the local care partnerships are a sign that there is a real commitment from the system to joined up working. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of the, the LCPs are a key part of the new structures from the ICS to the ICP. Um, so there does seem to be this longer term view that the local care partnerships, that's that mechanism for joined up local working is the right way for the city. Yeah, and that's positive. Yeah, that, that sort of longer term commitment is welcome. So in terms of the third sector organisations in Leeds, what do they add to the to the mix? What do they add to the party in Leeds? You know, we've got lots and lots of statutory health and care organisations and the city council. But we've got, you know, I, I wonder how many have we got thousands of third sector organisations or hundreds? What do they bring to the to the to the table yeah so the third sector in leeds is massive um we've recently conducted a state of the third sector in leeds um study um and there are over 1500 registered charities wow but there are also another 2000 organizations who um are unconstituted informal in their set up yeah um, which make up the third sector so mm. yeah however you look at it it's massive that is massive and within that size and breadth we've got so much diversity and for me that's a key um part of what the third sector brings to the system yeah it's 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 got so many different components it's got so many different elements it reflects communities um often we find that people within the system talk about the third sector in a really homogenous way um and it might be oh we need to have the third sector represented which we do yeah it is progress but it is so hard to represent something that big and um there was a tweet by um a colleague within the system uh a few weeks back asking why we as a system want representation of something so big and diverse would we be asking for representation of business would we be asking for representation of the nhs yeah and for me i think we need to think about that are we having people around the table because they're representing something so big and diverse or are we wanting people around the table because it kind of ticks a box and i don't think it is that but i think it does sometimes fuel that perception that the third sector 
is a single thing. And actually, we need to have people around the table, not because they represent something abroad, but because they are the right people to have around the table. Absolutely. And I suppose if we're looking at local care partnerships, if we were wanting to work on a particular project or a particular issue challenge in Weatherby and another particular challenge in Chapeltown, when we when we say we'd like to have the third sector represented in those two local care partnerships, they would be very different, wouldn't they? You know, yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't, there's not one organisation, one third sector organisation that would probably represent both of those incredibly diverse communities. So I suppose, I suppose language is always important. And I suppose that if people are saying we need to have the voice of the third sector, I suppose that's a start, isn't it? that they are acknowledging the importance and what those guys bring to that solution conversation. So maybe language is, is important, but at least they're saying it, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that is incredible progress. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I think within the local care partnership practically, we see that the third sector is one of the most present and committed components of the LCP equation. Um, you know, we have a number of third sector organisations who are citywide in their remit, yeah. who are just present in every single one. Yeah. Um, and then we have, yeah, organisations that are tiny, um, but are doing some really good work in a particular locality, who again, just have that commitment to the partnership. Um, and yeah that's that's amazing isn't it that's amazing that despite the often fragility of the sector and some of the organizations within the sector there's that continual commitment to um something which is quite developmental in 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 many situations yeah. um but yeah for me it kind of backs up that theory that it's the relationships that are the most important it's the conversations Absolutely. And tailored to the population that we are working with. So, yeah, the those tiny organisations that pop up in in certain parts of the cities, how do we amplify their voice for those people that we're that we're wanting to work with? So is there a is there a particular way that you guys at Forum Central or you specifically try and ensure that there is fair and equitable access for the third sector with local care partnerships because and I don't know if this is true that perhaps larger third sector organizations have got slightly more capacity to be involved in local care partnerships you can debunk that theory for me but you know those smaller groups who have that real local knowledge and want and their passion to work with a community how do you ensure that small and large are equally heard mm. yeah i mean this is a real challenge uh, you're absolutely right that within some of those larger organizations there might be a little bit more infrastructure to support that engagement um 
Whereas, yeah, some of the smaller organizations, the individual present might be the organization. Um, so, yeah, sometimes being present can mean not doing work within a community. Yeah. So, yeah, that that equitable access is really hard to achieve. For me, I think we need to come back to what local care partnerships are, and it's not attending meetings. <laughs> they are part of it. That's kind of a way of life. That's how we work. Yeah. But I'm really keen to make sure that local care partnerships are not just a series of meeting-based conversations. Yeah. I think we need to get to a point where organizations can connect with their local care partnership without having to sit through a half an hour meeting and then have an, any other business uh, slot yeah. talking about you know who they are and what they do. Um, so in order to achieve that I think there is something about investing in systems in ways of working which are inclusive um, and you'll know Graham I've, I've been rattling on about um, kind of communication systems and data sharing systems ever yeah. since I started in role and um, yeah that's that's really hard to to kind of embed those systems and make them work but yeah I think really to make sure we do have that equitable offer um, we need to move beyond meeting so much and um, investing in different ways of talking to each other. Okay and have you so so given that have you seen any particular successes emerge so any any really good examples of where the the, the organizations that you're working with have flourished and really added value to to a local care partnership and to a population of people i'm i'm, I'm really reluctant to highlight that particular <laughs> organization so i'm going to go broad if that's okay that's absolutely um, fine so I mean, there are so many within every LCP, there will be an example of a third sector organization, um, you know, supporting something amazing to happen. Um, I think within that, I mean, there, as you know, there are, there are lots of different LCPs in different stages of development. Yeah. So we do have some LCPs that are really delivering outcomes uh, for people and communities, you know, completing projects, um, being successful with bids. And then we've got some of the newer ones, which are perhaps much more focused on building those relationships, getting to know each other. Um, and for me, I think, yeah, that kind of getting to know each other um, sharing what we're doing, um is a real positive it's one of the most um successful outcomes from the lcps i've seen in a number of lcps um people who work within primary care just express this amazement at hearing what's going on within a third sector organization who might be really close to where they're based but they've never heard of them or they've yeah. never seen what they do yeah. Um, and yeah we we have a number of um, LCPs where there's 
spotlight sessions. And yeah, just kind of looking around the Zoom screen, seeing people's faces and, you know, seeing the positive messages in, in the chat after a third sector organization talks about what they do. And um, yeah, for me, that is one of the biggest successes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, I will go down the kind of, I suppose, kind of harder stuff, the harder outcome stuff. Um, you know, last winter, we delivered a whole load of winter planning sessions. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I attended, um, there was a third, sec third sector organisation talking about some of the resources that they have available, some of the um, information materials, some of the, the tools that they use to engage. Yeah. And um, they basically just offered them out to whoever because yeah. they knew it worked for communities. Yeah. Sharing those with different parts of the system enabled the people they worked with um, and you know the people who they wanted to support to get access to that and um, so that sharing of stuff yeah um that has been a really positive outcome as well and i suppose that sharing of stuff and being open and here's a load of stuff that we've taken the time have it use it you know we're not we're not necessarily precious about charging you for it but it's it's for the good of the this population that, that we're working for yeah, that's a that's a great example. Um, so, how do you think you would know whether or not you're making stuff better, or the third sector are making stuff better? How will we ever know that? Because if we think, I don't know, if we if we think back to sort of the aim of the city, one of the the aims in the city is to improve the health of the poorest people, the fastest, you know we know that the the gap is actually widening so with all of this stuff that we're doing how will we ever know that we are making anything better and we're not actually making it worse which is yeah. a massive question <laughs> it is a huge question um so yeah i mean there's a number of different layers of that we can look at the data um and you know, just kind of knowing a little bit about what you do, Graham, that is so powerful. And, and the way that you communicate that is, you know, really engaging, really enlightening. So, yeah, kind of looking at that data, looking at what it says. But I, you know, working in health promotion, I know that a lot of the stuff that we do takes a long time to embed. It's really, really hard to measure. And often, the questions that we ask, the data that we gather, is not the right data. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to make sure that we are being very broad in what we are looking at. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, looking at hard health outco outcomes, because yeah, that is one of the most important things for us within the LCPs. Well, also listening to people and communities yeah um letting people and communities talk about the things that matter to them and so there's a big piece of work going on at the moment um delivered by the people's voices group um, so the people's voices group is uh, a group of um, organizations and people who work around engagement and involvement within the city 
So there's representation from the big NHS institutions, um, local authority, and a lot of third sector organisations as well. And Healthwatch leads facilitate that group. Um, and we're really keen within the People's Voices group um, to make sure that people are at the heart of all decision making. And that means giving people a platform to talk about the stuff that matters to them. Um, at the moment, we're planning uh, the Big Leads Chat 2021. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit different this year. Uh, we're going to be delivering local chats within each of the local care partnerships. Um, we're going to have a digital component, so an, an online chat, um, as well as kind of a, a campaign um, supporting the LCP chats. And we're also going to be um, delivering some bespoke work with young people and people who experience the greatest health inequalities. Um, so linking up to the Communities of Interest Network, which was formed at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and really um, listening to people in communities who perhaps aren't always heard um, and aren't always given the opportunity to talk about what matters to them. Yeah. So the basic principles of Big Leads Chat are um, going where people are, yeah. um, let people talk about the things that matter to them, but also bringing decision makers into those conversations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's often that focus again on kind of generating data, generating outcomes, but the process of the big leads chart I really like because it's building those relationships yeah. in the process. It's reducing the gap between those who have power uh, and those um, who are perhaps disempowered. Um, and it really provides that opportunity for people who might have, you know, kind of climbed that ladder within um, the health and care system to go back to what matters to them, people. Yeah. Indeed. And, uh, you know, in a previous podcast, Tim Riley talked about that, about um, senior leaders in the city being matched to other leaders from the from the third sector and those communities of practice to actually, you know, walk in the shoes of those people to, I suppose, to reconnect them with with why we should be doing this, the people of Leeds. So, yeah, that that brings it back nicely. So so we can we can look out for the big leads chat. So when's that going to be happening in the city? So there's loads and loads of events being planned um, and they're going to be taking place um, across September and October. Right. Um, I suspect there's probably going to be some beyond that as well, because for me, it isn't just about doing an event and then kind of continuing as we have done previously. It's yeah. an ongoing process. and. Yeah, for me, the Big Leads Chat is that kind of stimulus to do things differently. Um, and hopefully, you know, those relationships will be formed yeah. and people will want to do more of it because it's it's fun, but it's also, um, you know, addressing some of the issues which sometimes we struggle with as a system and putting people at the heart of those conversations. 
definitely okay well i'm going to look out for that um and i suppose there's opportunities for folk to get involved in those big leads chats as well not just i suppose as professionals and residents we can all get involved can we absolutely yeah so um we um obviously go where people are but we have chat makers um so okay. volunteers from across the system from yeah. within communities who um initiate those chats with people um bringing decision makers to those chats um so yeah there's there's lots of opportunities for everybody across the system to get involved fab sounds great okay so i think we i think i'm going to wrap this up now but i have primed i do prime all my guests with with a, asking them a big question so carl What's your big question for the listeners of this podcast? Okay, Graham. Um, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm an overthinker and I've been okay. thinking about this a lot. Okay. Uh, so my big question is, as individuals and as a system, are we really open to doing things differently? I like it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to even attempt to answer that, but we'll leave it there. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, I hope to be able to speak to you again soon. Um, certainly there's a, there's a lot to to ponder on there and it's great that the big Leeds chat is enabling people to connect with people in Leeds. So on that note, um, thank you, Carl. And thank you, uh, have a good rest of the day. You too. Thanks, Graham. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Please do like, subscribe and share with colleagues across your networks. The podcast is available on a range of platforms, including Spotify and Google Podcasts. Until next time. Thank you.